There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm Gino Retta. I've spent better than four decades working in the game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watch them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's legend, a five-time Stanley Cup champion, four of them over a four-year spread, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Vesna Trophy winner, seven-time NHL All-Star, Hockey Hall of Famer, top 100 players of all time. I'm talking about Grant Fear. Grant, welcome to the show, my friend. It's going to be great catching up with you. It's been a while. It has been a little while. It's good to see you again. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7 Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave Crushers to your door almost before you can say, Fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering, Wings, or pizza, in your ear, right now. For just $11.69, order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. The last time you and I were chatting, I, I, I'm trying to remember this. I don't remember the year, so forget it. I'm not even going to try to guess the year. But it was at Wayne's uh, Pro-Amp Golf Tournament up in Collingwood, Ontario. And you could hit a freaking ball. I had no idea you were such a player. Are you still playing? Yeah, I still play a little bit. We don't play much competitively anymore. I got old all of a sudden. so. <laughs> but I, I still enjoy it. That's awesome. And then, of course, I was there for your Hockey Hall of Fame induction in 2003, which was amazing. That was that was such a great moment. And I remember your speech and I remember all of us um, afterwards in the speech and go, man, Grant really sounded like he was speaking from the heart. And then afterwards, we found out the true story with what happened with your speech. You want to share that with our audience? <laughs> yeah. So I made some notes and kind of wrote out a little bit of a speech and Handed it to my son to hang on to, only he forgot to give it back to me. So, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. He forgot to give it to you or you forgot to take it from him? <laughs> Don't blame the poor kid. I forgot to ask for it. So, What was that like standing up there in front of all these people that you want to make sure you get all your important stuff out there without forgetting anybody? Well, that was the hard part is you're terrified that you're going to forget somebody. So it's probably as hard as I've ever had to think doing something on TV. <laughs> that was amazing. Um so you're up there in the in the Hockey Hall of Fame. You're this kid from Spruce Grove, Alberta, for the people who don't know geography in the region. Uh, tell us about the area you lived in and and how you went, you grew up being an Edmonton Oilers fan because you were right there. You were a bedroom community, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Spruce Grove is all of 11, 12 miles outside Edmonton. So I get a chance to watch the Oilers when they were in the WHA and became a fan of the Oilers and lucky enough to get drafted there. So I get to play right at home which was awesome. Uh, we're in Black History Month, so uh, I want to kind of pick your brain about what it was like for you then and, and what you're seeing right now in the NHL. Just, just for background, uh, you were born to teenage parents, a black father and a mom from the Enoch Cree Nation, uh, and then you were adopted by a young couple in Spruce Grove. Uh, what was that like for you in that community 
as being a young boy of color? You know what? I feel pretty fortunate. I think there was myself and two brothers that went to the same school. So there wasn't a whole lot of people of color around and lots of the native population, which, so I ended up playing hockey in Enoch for a little bit, but I'm pretty fortunate. I mean, hockey is a great sport where they worried about whether you could play the game first and foremost, and that's yeah. all that really mattered. So kind of, kind of lucky to have played in Canada. Yeah, that was, a, and you were, uh, I almost said lucky, but you weren't lucky. You earned your way into uh, an eighth overall pick from the Edmonton Oilers in 1981 what was that like for you because you grew up right there and all of a sudden they were saying we what we like this kid and we want this kid on our team i'm not sure slats did at the time but (laughs) at the same time i mean i played because i liked the game i think that was the biggest thing is i had a love for the game and played just because of that i hadn't i wanted to go pro but never really thought that that's what would happen i mean that's Hockey's got the long odds of being able to play pro. So I just played because I loved it. And then you're watching the Edmonton Oilers and you're seeing what's going on. And it's the early year of the franchise, early years of the franchise. And they're not having a tremendous amount of success overall because they're scoring a ton of goals, but they can't keep their puck out of their own net. And now you get drafted in this organization. So what were you thinking to yourself at that point? Uh, You know what? I was never hung up on numbers. And when I got there, there was no pressure. I mean, Andy Mogan had the great playoff, so I figured they'd probably keep Andy. They had Gary Edwards. They had Ronnie Lowe. I mean, they had Eddie Mio, so they had a good NHL presence. So I really wasn't worried that I was even going to stay there. I thought I'd go back to Victoria and play another year of junior, but they managed to keep me around for a little bit, and things turned out pretty well. We're in conversation with Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhrer. This is the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. To hear your former teammates, some of the, you know, all of them Hockey Hall of Famers, almost, and to hear them talk about you, to hear Paul Coffey talk about you and Mark Messier talk about you, something they said over and over again was the tremendous sense of confidence they had in you and the fact that all you ever cared about was winning the game and you could care less if you won 6-4 or seven, five, it didn't matter to you. Why, why was that the case? Cause or, ordinarily goalies are super hypersensitive about their own stats. Uh, you know what? I was brought up that you don't worry about stats. You worry about contributing to the team. And if you do your job properly, winning is kind of everything. So I mean, whether I win two, one, whether I win nine, eight doesn't matter as long as you win. Yeah. Cause there's so many stories of guys who had great numbers and never ended up winning the big one. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, you can have great numbers, and if you're below 500, that's all anybody remembers. You can have bad numbers, but all of a sudden you're six or seven games over 500. Everybody's a lot happier. So, I mean, numbers weren't a big thing for me. It was more about being successful and winning. And you did win a lot in your rookie season, 23 straight, an NHL record, 23 straight wins for a rookie. What was that run like? You know what? I just played. I, mean, I think that was the biggest thing. Is Come I had on, no Grant. In the midst of it, though, you must have been feeling like, okay, this is ridiculous. No, because you didn't really know when you were playing. I mean, I think that was the fun part is you had to play well to keep playing. So I just played. And when you're 18 years old, you really don't understand what's going on. You're just trying to survive and stay there. Talking to your old former teammates and stuff, they always like to refer to you as a clutch goalie. 
that nothing ever phased you. Mess says nothing ever phased this guy. How much did it mean to you to hear them say stuff like that about you? Uh, you know, at the end of my career, it means a lot. I mean, you're there to try and give the rest of the team confidence. So if they believe in me, then obviously we had so much talent. It was easy to believe in them. So you're, you're back there just trying to give them a sense of confidence. With your Stanley Cup run in Edmonton was out, was crazy. Your relationship with Wayne has always been a special one. You guys kind of tracked together. You won four cups together before Wayne left uh, in Edmonton. Then you end up playing in LA together. You ended up playing in St. Louis together. He calls you the greatest goalie of all time. Of all the achievements and things you accomplished, what's what's that single phrase mean to you? And where does that rank amongst what you've done? Uh, obviously, having him as a friend in your back pocket's not a bad thing. So, now you know what I'm fortunate to have played with a great group of guys and consider them all friends still, and can stay in contact with them. So that part's great. But at the same time, you're just a piece of the wheel. So yeah. to have them believe in you before, during, after. It's kind of a special moment. One of your first major special moments was the 1984 Stanley Cup final. You're facing to give to give our listeners and viewers a little background. The Islanders come in there having won four straight Stanley Cups, including just having knocked you guys off the previous year. But in the previous year, you weren't the number one guy. Now, all of a sudden, going to the playoffs, you become the number one guy, and you're facing the Islanders, and you shut them out. You Grand Fuhrer shut out the Islanders in game one of the Stanley Cup final in 1984, a team that had just won four straight. What was that like for you? Uh, you know what? It's it's more fun now than it was then. I mean. Why is that? At that time, you're just playing. I mean, we get to, I got to watch the four games where they beat us before that, and that was a learning experience. One, two, nobody thought we could beat them, especially in a close checking game. So to go out and be able to win a one nothing game obviously gave us a lot of confidence. So you go out and win that game. You win in five. It wasn't even close. Like at the end of the day, it wasn't even close. And that team in 1984 goes down as one of the all-time great Stanley Cup championship teams. What was it like for you? You're just a kid. What were you, like 22 at this point? You're just a kid, and, you, and you've, you've just won the Stanley Cup. What was that like? You know what? It's an awesome feeling. I think that's the great thing is everybody as a kid dreams of winning a Stanley Cup. And to be able to do it, I don't think you take the time at, at that point in time to realize how much fun it really is. I mean, yeah, we had a little bit of fun with it. But at the same time, at 22 years old, I don't think you appreciate the work and everything that does go into it. And then you keep doing it. You won again in 85. So you won back to back. After a year off, you won two more. So you guys win four over a stretch of five years. Coming off the Islanders dynasty, how important was it for you guys to say, you guys are done, the new dynasty's here now? Uh, you know what it is? It's You win the first one, and then everybody says, well, you can't win a second because it's that much harder. And it was that much harder. I mean, now you're playing 82 games that are like playoff games because everybody wants to beat the Stanley Cup champion. So yeah. to be able to go back, repeat, I mean, we probably should have won five in a row. But we had the little hiccup, so sometimes that's good for you to have a little reset. No kidding. Uh, I want to take you back on on a season I think could be like a 12-month period that could be one of the greatest 12 months I've ever seen a goalie go through in NHL history it was the 87-88 season. 
it all begins with the Canada Cup. And I was really, really fortunate enough to be a young reporter in those days in the early part of my career. And I got to watch it. I got to watch it firsthand and to be a part of that. Uh, what was it like to be a part of the 87 Canada Cup, which is one of the greatest gatherings of Canadian hockey talent we've seen in really in the history of the game? Uh, you know what? The special group of guys. I mean, you want to play with the best players there are. And that's as good a group as I've ever seen. So it, you're pretty fortunate to I was lucky enough that I got that opportunity to play with that group of guys. What was it like when you looked around the room and saw some of the names and some of the jerseys hanging up there and then to be a part of those incredible moments? Uh, you know what? For a kid growing up in Spruce Grove, it's pretty special. And you look at basically the best of the game. I and mean, I think that's what it was, is you've got the best of the game there and they've included you. So that's a pretty special moment. So that's just the start of it now. That's in, I think it was September. I think the tournament was played in September. Now you get into the NHL season. Uh, you guys are on a tear. You're ripping it up. You played, and this number still blows me away, you played 75 of the 80 regular season games that year. And that wasn't even your biggest total. Your biggest total came back a few years later, uh, and you played 79 of the 82. Grant, how the heck did you do that? Like we look at it now and think anybody who plays over 50, it's like, no way you can't be at your best. How, how do you do that? Greg? Uh, you know what? It's a mindset and you prepare to play every game anyway. So it's just a mindset. I mean, your body will get you through it as long as your mind stays fresh. And Glenn Sather was really good that year. If I needed a practice off, I got a practice off. The year I played 79, if I needed a practice off, Mike Keenan gave me a practice off just so your mind stayed fresh. And then I was lucky enough that I had good trainers. And they keep the body working. And it worked. You won your uh, your Vesna that year. What was that like to be a Vesna winner? Hey, you know what? It's awesome. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better year. I think I played 103 games total with exhibition and everything. So, and then cap it off with a Vesna and a Stanley Cup. Hard to beat that. Your fourth Stanley Cup happens that. And, and hold it. Wait a minute. That's not enough. You also finished second in the Hart Trophy voting. Tell our audience about that and who was uh, bookending you that year. Well, let's see. What do we got? There's probably one guy that wore nines and another guy that wore upside down nines. So when you've got good company in Mario and Gretz, I, just to be somewhere in between those two is pretty special. I don't like Grant, you, you just seem so humble about this, but I'm thinking, man, the stuff you accomplished. The stuff you accomplished is inhuman, the fact that you did it. And you were you were a trendsetter. You were the first, you're the first black man to make it into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You're the first black man to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, all that all that you overcame and accomplished, it's 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 mind-boggling to me. Like, do you ever sit back and think, I can't believe this actually happened and it's my life? Uh, you know what? It's kind of like living in a dream. I mean, it's all the things you dream of as a kid, and I actually got to live out my dreams. So it's when I go see kids now, I tell them that never give up on your dreams. I think that's the biggest thing, as I was lucky enough to do it. I'll tell you, and then came something that really pissed us off in the hockey community, <laughs> and and I want to get your take on it because I've never actually asked you about this uh, directly. After you had your incredible run with the oil, with the five Stanley Cups of the oil, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows your name in the game. Uh, and even outside the game, people knew 
because you were so legendary at that point. You spent a couple of seasons in Toronto. Then you get traded to Buffalo. There's a bunch of the guys on the team. You want to get buddied up with the guy. You love the game of golf. You want to buddy up with a bunch of guys from the team and join a, a local golf club so you can go out and just socialize and be a part of the community. And then something in my mind, shocking happens. Tell our audience what happened to you and how it all played out. I went to join a golf club in Buffalo and their board of directors decided that I wasn't the right color to be a member at the golf club. So first time I'd ever seen that. So that was a little bit shocking, but at the same time I was raised properly where you just move on to somewhere where you want to be accepted. I mean, and that was the great part about Buffalo is most of the people were very acceptive and I just went and joined a different golf club and they were more than willing to have me as a member. But what did that do to you though? Grant, I mean, you you grew up you grew up in an area where that wasn't as big an issue as some places uh, elsewhere around the world, and all of a sudden the reality of that hits. How did you feel going through a moment like that? Uh, you know, it was an eye opener more than anything. Is that you hear about racism, that sort of thing around the game? Well, not even around the game, just around society. But I had never experienced it, so that was my first time experience it, and you realize that. Even though, what were we then, 1994-ish? Yeah. That it still exists. And that's the unfortunate part of society. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, Fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering, Wings. Or pizza. In your ear. Right now. For just eleven sixty nine. Order a large, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats, 24-7. So you've experienced it firsthand. Um, and I think it's it's incumbent on us as an audience, as hockey fans, to kind of understand the journey you went through because then we can understand we were a part of that and we need to do better. And we need to change. Walk me through what you experienced initially when you got into the game of hockey, what you experienced when you're in the game and what you're seeing now. What I'm asking you for is tell me about the transition. Tell me about the changes that you've seen or want to see. I think since I've started playing, it's gotten better. I mean, I was fortunate enough. I followed guys like Willie O'Ree and Val James, Mike Marson, Tony McKegney, uh, Bill Riley. I mean, I got a chance to follow those guys. So for me, it was a little bit better than it was for them. But at the same time, it's still there. And that's the unfortunate part. The league's getting better and better. And they're doing more and more to expose the game to different minorities, that sort of thing. So the game's growing a little bit. But at the same time, there's still a lot of work to do. So and you'd like to think that society in 2023 would be a little bit better. But I think over the last few years, we've kind of taken some steps backwards. And the goal is to make it go forwards. So unfortunately, you got to take two steps back to move forward. And we're slowly getting there. What have you seen as the parts that, I mean, apart from the actual incidents of racism and stuff, what have you seen that makes you think that maybe sometimes we're slipping up? Where do we need to stop slipping up? Well, I think you're seeing the odd racial incident and that you can't have. I mean, the game's, be the game's better than that. Society's better than that. But Unfortunately, some people aren't better than that. And yeah, you can brush it off, but at the same time, you can't brush it off. 
you have to grow from it and then society has to get better that way. How do we do it, Grant? What do we like? Are there policies that we need to change? Are there educational things that we need to incorporate? What do we do? Give Tell us what we can do. I think it's all the above. I mean, part of it's exposing the game to minorities and getting into neighborhoods that the game's never been so that they understand the game of hockey. Society's a bigger problem. I mean, unfortunately, that's a bigger fix. That's yeah. But sport as, sport as a whole can bring people together, and I think that's gotten lost over the last oh, four or five years. And people have to get back to remembering that, that politics shouldn't be in sport. Sport's there to be entertaining and bring people together. What did it mean to you to have a guy like Willie O'Ree be there at the foreground and, and break ground to to make it somewhat easier and more acceptable for yourself to make the journey you did through the NHL? You know what? For what Willie went through, I mean, Willie had the hard part. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty fortunate. I, when I played in Canada, too, I wore a mask most of the time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people didn't realize. So I think I got it pretty easy in that sense. But at the same time, there's got to be a trailblazer in between Willie, Herb Carnegie, Val James. I mean, Val probably went through the toughest playing in the minors. And some of the minor league cities were not very open, not very forgiving. So I feel like I got off pretty easy. But at the same time, you're there to try and inspire the kids that are coming in behind you. I got to tell you, Grant, I'm just, I mean, you and I have been friends for for decades, literally. And I, I got to follow your career and we got to be a little closer after your career and on the golf course and stuff, I'm just, I just have so much respect for you. The fact that the stuff that you went through and it just doesn't seem to knock you down. It just, you just seem so resilient. Are you, are you that way all the time? Or is that just what you're projecting to us? Because I got to tell you, I'm not sure I could have handled this as resiliently as you have. No, I'm happy with me. I mean, I think that's the hardest part is you got to be happy with yourself. Yeah. So we had a couple of years where maybe we weren't, all that happy with ourselves. But at the same time, I've always been a positive person. I mean, I still look at a glass half full and that's what you have to be. You mentioned a couple of years where things did not go well. Um, and you share with this and I've seen you share with it before and it's up to you to share how much you want to share of it. But, uh, with all the accolades, with all the Stanley cups, with all the prominence comes the fact that you're going to be chased after by people who want to be around you, who want to hang out with you, who have some ideas that maybe are not the healthiest for you. And at this point, you've got money, you've got fame, you've got fortune, you're 23, 24 years old. Life is moving really, really quickly for you. Share to the extent that you want to share what your journey was like at that point when all of a sudden you were presented with things that maybe weren't great options for you and then made some bad decisions there. I did. I made a few bad decisions. I mean, unfortunately... At 22, 23 years old, you get a lot of opportunities. You have the pretty girls, you have drugs, all that good stuff. And unfortunately, I made some bad choices where I went down the wrong road and got suspended for drug use. So that was another tough time in life where you have to learn and grow from it. And it's kind of made me the person I am today. So with all the good comes, or all all the bad comes good. And I think that's the biggest thing is you got to learn from it and move on the part i struggled with grant and i and and i gotta believe that you struggled with this you made the decision on your own that you had to fix this you 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 started using cocaine and and it became difficult for you and 
Um, you talked about how you got into it. How did you come to the to the terms where you said it's time for me to get out of this? This is not good for me. What? How did how did you come to that realization? Well, it was part of kind of a life decision that it was going down a road that didn't have a good ending to it. And before it got down that road, I had the opportunity to kind of look at myself and look in the mirror and say, Hey, this isn't really going to work. You can't be a professional athlete and be a professional partier at the same time. So we went, got clean, then got suspended, but two years afterwards. So that was a tough one to swallow. But at the same time, I made the right life decision for me. That's the hard part that I'm talking about. The fact that you, you took it upon yourself to go out there and get clean you went to rehab, you got off it, you stopped using it, came back and said, okay, guys, I'm good to go. And it's at that point, the NHL suspends you and says, because of what you did, the dishonor to the game, that must've just ripped your heart out. Cause you said, no guys, that was then. And this is now I'm a new guy. What did that do to you when the league essentially turned its back on you that way? Well, they didn't have a drug policy and that was probably the hardest part to swallow is we kind of became a poster child for that. So the positive that came out of that was they came up with a drug policy afterwards. So there was some positive to it, but at the same time, they'd kind of stolen everything that I'd lived and dreamed of. And it was a hard pill to swallow, but at the same time, I felt that I deserved that. So you kind of look at yourself and you got to go through some hard times to see what's really inside yourself. And it doesn't get much harder than that. Who was your support group through all of this? That must have been so hard. But you know what? I had great friends, great teammates. I think that was the biggest thing is I still had a lot of the friends I grew up with. And I spent a lot of time with them, got a chance to lean on them a little bit. And then I had phenomenal teammates. Even when I was suspended, I'd go over and see some of the guys for breakfast. I'd go out, have dinner with some of the guys. And even though I wasn't allowed to be around the rink, I still got to see the guys every day. Wow. How did you feel about yourself grand fear how did grand fear feel about grand fear coming out of all of that versus the one that was moving into that before it all began for you but for me it was a good test of where i was at i mean i think more than anything is it could have really taken a bad turn at that point but the fact that i got through that and yeah there were some down days but at the most for the most part there was a lot of positive days and i could see i was on the right road So regardless of what happened for me, I was on the right road and felt better and better about myself. That's awesome. It's amazing to see again, Grant, I just keep seeing the stuff that you did through your journey has been amazing. And the fact that you're willing to share this for somebody who's listening to this uh, young person, either an athlete or maybe not even an athlete who's struggling with other things. um, What, what would your message be to them as they're battling these demons? You're going to believe in yourself first and foremost, but you also have to have a good support group of friends and people around you so that when you are having a bad day, you have somebody to talk to. The worst thing you can do is kind of isolate yourself and think that you can fix it on your own. You have to have good people around you and you got to definitely have a big belief in yourself. How are you doing now, Grant? I'm doing awesome. I mean, I got no complaints. I I live down in Palm Springs, so it's hard to beat that. (laughs) We've got a golf tournament now where I'm able to raise a bunch of money and give it back to the Betty Ford Center. So that's kind of a payback for them turning my life around. So life can't be any better. That's awesome. Um, 
you spent some time in coaching. You were with the Coyotes for five years, I think from 04 to 09, where you were taking care of their goaltenders, obviously. What are you doing now? Is that something you want to be doing some more of? Or or I hear you're, you're actually coaching some three-on-three. Three. Tell us about that. Yeah, we're doing a little coaching on three-on-three. Three. I got talked into that, which I still think is the best part of hockey. It's all offense. And as a goalie, I know it's a little bit strange, but I still love yeah. all offense. And then How does a goalie like three-on-three, three, Grant? That makes no sense. <laughs> well, I'm kind of a wide-open hockey kind of guy. Where I love offensive hockey, so... And then I got talked into doing radio and TV down here for the Coachella Valley Firebirds in the American League. So I'm doing radio, doing color there, and doing pregame, postgame, and intermissions on TV. So we're having all sorts of fun in the game still. That's awesome. Do you ever want to get back into coaching, or is that just too much work and too committed a schedule? No, I enjoyed coaching. I had a lot of fun with it. I still love the position of goalie, so I still watch all the guys and you try and learn what they're teaching now and such, but I'm also enjoying the TV side. So I'm having fun with that as well. It's amazing. Uh, what, what sometimes when I think of the numbers, Grant, I mean, your five Stanley cups are amazing. You're number 13 on the all time wins list in NHL history. Your top 100, you've been voted a top 100 player of all time. When you hear stuff like that, how does that make, what does that make? What does that go through your mind? <laughs> still a kid living his dream. I mean, I just happen to be an older kid now. So, I mean, I feel pretty fortunate. I mean, I got to play a game for a living and you can't ask for more than that. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that where you get to play the game you love, you get to do it for a living and have some success in it. You hit some tough roadblocks and you smash through them. Does that make being on the other side of this so much more satisfying that you now have the right to use your platform, to share your story, to help others who come from behind, come behind you? Oh, definitely. I mean, some of the rough spots I went through when I talk to kids, when I talk to different people, I can say, look, I know exactly where you're at because I've been through it and to show that you can come out on the positive side of it. I think one, it leaves a good message, but two, the end game is to try and make society better and leave the game better. And hopefully I'm able to do that. You certainly are. And that is a great place to end this because you should have last word. Grant, it's just, it's amazing what you've been able to accomplish. Thank you so much for, for your journey and what you, the entertainment you gave us over the year. And thanks for the message that you're sending because using your platform the way you are right now, it's awesome. Thank you, my friend. That's always my pleasure, Gino. That was five-time Stanley Cup champion, Vezla Trophy winner, Hockey Hall of Famer, Grant Fury. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7-Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev.
You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. 